Is there something in your life that causes you to see that you are desperate for Jesus? Consider it a gift from God. Adonijah had nothing in his life like that. No wonder he was a self-exalting man. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. If you would like to get in touch with me, I can be reached by email, which is kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at hishill.org. Last week, we started the first of a two-part series entitled The Sin of Self-Exaltation, which comes from a sermon that our director, Charlie McCall, recently preached on the necessity of parents disciplining their children. You know, I don't know of any parent that hasn't struggled with disciplining their child. It's truly a hard job that requires fortitude and commitment, and we can't just throw up our hands and give in when things get rough regarding our child's obedience, because Scripture is very clear that that would be hateful and unloving on our part. Hebrews 12:7 says that it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with us as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. By way of reminder, I'll start the second part of this message with Charlie again reading the passage that we're looking at, which is 1 Kings 1, 5 through 10. Now, without any further ado, here's Charlie. 1 Kings 1, 5 through 10. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, Why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathar the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoloth with his beside in Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. In addition to being without discipline his whole life, which is just beyond comprehension. But it also says that he was, got back to verse 6, that he was a very handsome man. Now, I had an older brother that was very handsome, four and a half years older than, than me, and twice. I remember going into men's clothing stores with him and the manager coming out and offering him a job on the spot. That never happened to me. <laughs> and I'm going, I'd like to work here. <laughs> you know? It was amazing. He was one of those guys that could walk into a room and every head would turn, men and women both. I met a woman one time who was in her 40s. And she grew up um, in Corpus near where we did. 
And as we got to just, you know, we've all, oh, we both grew up in Corpus. Oh, we, oh, you live there. Oh. And then she goes, did you have a brother named Steve? And I go, yeah. And this woman in her 40s starts to get giggly. <laughs> I knew your brother. And I'm going, unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody has ever done that with me. I'm sure of it. So I know from observation, not from experience, that good-looking people, life goes better for them. <laughs> Doors open, things are just, and, you know, experiments have actually been done on this. I read one where they, they took a beautiful woman and stood her on a busy street corner in New York City, loaded her arms full of, of packages and said, when the, when cross, go out and, and just cross the street when it's time to cross and drop your packages as you start to walk. And she did, and dropped her packages, and people come from everywhere to help her. Took the same woman and dressed her up to make her look ugly. Put her on the same street corner with the same packages and said, walk out and drop packages. And that time, she only had two or three people help her. And it was just a little experiment to show that life goes easier for beautiful people. And certainly for Adonijah, never having been disciplined, and he's extremely good looking. So people would have just been drawn to him and given him attention and adulation just because of how he looked. You know what that does? That breeds insecurity. Why? Because I've never been disciplined, so there's, so I, so there's no confidence. There, there's no core to me. And people are fawning on me, giving me attention, opening doors for me. And it's because of how I look. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of anything I've accomplished. It's not because of my values, my beliefs, but because of how I look. That just breeds insecurity. And it's insecure people who are going to be most apt to exalt themselves and promote themselves. Not only was he extremely good looking, but he was, actually, but he was also born after Absalom. In terms of the world, this man has everything going for him. He is the king's oldest son. He is extremely handsome. And he can do whatever he wants and he gets away with it. In the world's economy, that is the man you would want to be. Because you've got life by the tail. But it is not what God wanted. This man is rich in self, and he is bankrupt toward God. It's tragic. If you'd ask this man, is there anything about your life that you would change? I think he'd probably say, what are you talking about? <laughs> the only thing that I would change is that I can be king, and I've got that in control. That's going to happen. My good-looking older brother got leukemia. Went into remission shortly after they found the leukemia, even though they'd only given him six weeks to live. And God kept him in remission for a couple of years. And then he got married and 
the leukemia came back just within a few months of being married, and he started taking the chemotherapy again. The first time he took the chemo, nothing happened, literally. He actually got healthier. I've never heard of that happening. Instead of losing weight, he gained 20 pounds, and he needed it because he was way too thin. Instead of his hair falling out, his hair got thicker, and he never once threw up. The doctors couldn't understand it, so he quit taking the chemo. He started just flushing it down the toilet. His bone marrow was healthier than the doctor's bone marrow at one point, the doctor told him. But then after getting married, the Lord allowed the leukemia to come back, and he started taking the chemo, and it did everything it had done that it was supposed to do. Wretchedly sick, lost all kinds of weight, and his hair was just falling out in big clumps. And so he went to the barber and had his head shaved. And that was back in the day when nobody did that because they thought it looked cool. And obviously, he was very, very, very ill. And when he came home, he, he just looked awful. I was the first one to see him, and I just tried to be lighthearted about it, and I called him Kojak. Um, well, that, that didn't lift his spirits. And then his young bride, only been married just a couple months, three months maybe, um, she came around the corner through the kitchen and saw him. And with no hesitation, she just hugged him. And he just cried. And, and, he, and she knew what he was thinking. And she said, I never married you for how you looked. Wow. And I'm sitting there just feeling like I shouldn't even be witnessing this. All that to say that my brother, before he passed away, and he died in, in a January, in December at Christmas time, he was between in and out of the hospital, and he was at home at Christmas, and, and um, we were sitting there in my parents' living room, and we got to talking about the tribulation. And I just said, man, I, I, you know, remember, I'm 20 years old. And I said, I really hope that we don't have to go through the tribulation. And my brother, who used to be the meanest guy I knew, and he was far away from God before the leukemia came. And he looks at me and says, if the tribulation could teach me the love of Jesus like leukemia has, I would gladly go through it. And I'm thinking, who is this person? So my brother came to a place when he said, leukemia is the greatest thing God has ever allowed to happen in my life. And it was because it made him so desperate for Jesus. I often tell the students when I teach on this passage, I have no doubt that if you were to take a piece of paper and I were to ask you to write down the one thing that you would ask God to remove from your life, that you could quickly think of the one thing that you wish that God could remove from your life. But here's the deal. That one thing is your greatest asset. Because what you consider your greatest liability is probably the one thing that God is using most to cause you to see your desperate need for him. This is what Jesus was saying to Paul when Paul asked that the thorn in this flesh be removed. And Jesus said to him, stop praying about it. 
I am not going to remove it. 2 Corinthians 12. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. First chapter of Isaiah says, God says, my children do not follow after my ways. My children do not obey me. Even God's children are disobedient. And it is not unusual to find godly parents with children who do not walk with God. It's important that we all accept the discipline that God brings into our lives. It's important for a father and for a mother to discipline their children in love. But it's important for us to also understand that though I can discipline my child, I can tell him he needs to obey, I cannot create an obedient heart in the life of my child any more than I can create it in my own life. We had our, one of our daughters-in-law and her children with us not long ago, and some of the kids, one of the kids came to me and said, Pop, Mom needs you. And so I went, and she said, I need your help with one of the boys. And she told me what had happened, and it was big. And so I had talked to him. He was lying on his bed, ready for, had his pajamas on, ready for bed, and he was not a happy camper. And so um, I had to hold his face because he wouldn't want to look at me. And I said, I have permission to spank you. And you have never been spanked by me. And you do not want to be spanked by me. And I told him, I said, I love you. But I cannot change your heart. All I can do is discipline you. But only Jesus can change your heart. Now, I can discipline you until you cry out to Jesus. <laughs> but I can't make you cry out to Jesus. Every parent needs to realize that the task that we are called to, and then going back to the story of that friend of mine, he said, Charlie, every child comes into this world a barbarian. And that's why it is the one job of every parent to civilize their children. Whether you're a Christian or not, that is the one job God has given you, civilize the barbarians. But I cannot, maybe I can make them civil, but I cannot make them obedient from the heart. That is something that only God can do. Obedience is a miracle. Paul said in Romans 15, 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. 
Now, when I read that, I think of a man who has performed countless miracles. He's even seen the dead raised. And yet Paul says, when I look over my life, he says, I am not going to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And then he mentions one thing. And that makes me think it's the greatest of all the things. And that being that obedience, that Gentiles have been made obedient in word and deed through faith in Christ. That is the miracle. It may be the greatest miracle. Let me explain. Jesus said that after he would leave and ascend and send the Holy Spirit, he says, greater works than I do, you shall do. Greater works. I'm not walking on water yet, and I've got no hope to. And I think that's a pretty great one, walking on water. I've never fed 5,000 from a boy's lunch, and that's a pretty big miracle. The greatest miracle is salvation. Not raising the dead, not walking on water, not feeding thousands from one lunch. It's the miracle of salvation. Seeing a person move from spiritual death to spiritual life is a miracle. It is an act of God. Well, Jesus did that. How can it be a greater miracle for us to do the very thing that Jesus did? Here's my thinking on this, and I may be totally wrong. When I, I've only seen pictures of, the, of Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel. I would love to see it in person someday. But just the pictures I've seen, and I'm going, that is amazing. But see, if Jesus were to do that, I would say that's amazing, but I wouldn't say it's miraculous. But if Jesus could make me do it, that would be a miracle. Because I don't even make recognizable stick figures. I was trying to draw a birthday cake for Scarlett the other day, my two-year-old granddaughter. And Patsy walked by and says, wow, did Scarlett draw that? And I go, that's, that's that's how bad my artwork is. So if I drew Michelangelo's picture there, that, what he drew on the Sistine Chapel, if I drew that, you'd go, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. But here's the thing. If I could do that and also teach you to do that, you'd be even a greater miracle. It's a miracle on top of a miracle. And it's one thing that Jesus The sinless one brings life to others. That's a miracle. But when Jesus brings life to us, and we were disobedient, that we were sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 describes us, and then he uses us to bring life to another, that's a miracle on top of a miracle. And so I kind of think that when God uses one of us To see a person place his faith in Christ, that is a greater miracle than if Jesus did it without us. It's amazing. It is a miracle on top of a miracle. And I have to understand that for God, for my child to become obedient from the heart 
It is a supernatural, spiritual work that only God can accomplish. And that is what God is after. I appreciated that the ladies in the church um, want to pray to that end. Because that's exactly what it takes. Willing parents to civilize the barbarians, but they cannot do it on their own. They cannot do it on their own. It takes the Spirit of God. David had one son that wanted to murder him and another son that couldn't wait for him to die. It all started because of a failure to yield every aspect of his life to God. And then the failure to discipline a son. And what does that add up to? Unyielded life, failure to discipline your children, it adds up to tremendous personal heartache and multiplied tragedy for life after life for generations to come. We have been so blessed. We are children of the greatest king, the king of kings. And he loves us with all of his being. We may not be beautiful in the eyes of the world, but we are beautiful in his eyes. And he disciplines us. If we are without discipline, we are not his children, Hebrews says. I pray that not only would we as parents and grandparents lovingly discipline our children, because it is the loving thing to do. But that we would also recognize that only God can make them obedient. And in all of our discipline, we would orient them to Jesus. Not to the consequences of their actions alone, but to Jesus and their need for him. But that we would also be the same. Because what child at some time doesn't think, well, I have to do what you say, but who makes you do anything? Because that's how it appears to children, that we adults don't have any authority. And sometimes we act like we don't. But may we be the ones that model to our children that we are not without authority. And our authority is the King of Kings. And He is in the business of disciplining us just as we are called to discipline our children. I'll close us in prayer. Father, I thank You that You are more than sufficient um, for this life and for the calling and responsibilities that you've given us. We've all, Lord, that have children have made mistakes. None of us have raised our children perfectly. We all have things that we wish we'd never said, never done. But we, God, in that we recognize that it has to be your work. We thank you that you use fallible people who are ignorant and sinful and make mistakes, and that you can still accomplish your purposes. And I pray that we would walk humbly with you, that we would bow our heads before you, God, in our hearts that we would be yielded to you, giving our amen, which is to say, yes, sir, no, sir, to the one who is worthy of all honor, 
and glory and respect. We thank you that we've been saved from disobedience, that we might be made obedient through the working of your spirit. And this is to your glory, God. It's not our willful wish to be obedient, but only through faith in Christ can that be accomplished. I thank you, God, for each of the children in our lives and in this church. And we do earnestly, oh God, pray that they would all at the earliest age possible understand their deep need of you, your love for them, and that they would yield themselves to you in faith, receiving Jesus and the gift of eternal life. Use us, God, to point them to you. And I pray that in their lives, as they look at us, their parents and us as this body, they would see a people who are obedient to Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the His Hill podcast today. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, and part two of our director, Charlie McCall's sermon entitled, The Disciplining of Children. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are at the end of our second week of summer staff training and our first batch of campers come this Sunday. Please keep praying for our summer staff and incoming campers that their hearts would be prepared for what is to come and that we as a staff keep Christ at the center of all we do this summer. Thanks for joining us this week for another episode of the His Hill podcast. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie and we'll see you next week.